This is the Mark Dolan Way. Top tips for mind, body and soul, some great life hacks and my favourite products of the week. This show is available on all podcast platforms or you can watch it. Just subscribe to the Mark Dolan Way on YouTube and join the Facebook group. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the show. I hope you are very well. I've got three words that will change your life. Make a decision. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's a work situation, whether it's something recreational to do with your development, make a decision. I'm leaving him or I'm leaving her. I'm starting a new job. I'm going to begin a new project. Make a decision because in the end, most people, they equivocate, they compromise and they lose precious time. It ties in with the value of commitment. You know, once you've made that decision, you commit to it, you see it through. And that is what people who are successful always do. So it just comes with identifying what it is you want, what your goals are, and then make a decision to enact those goals. Go, go, go. Now, a couple of other things to talk to you about today. First of all, um, apologies to anyone watching on YouTube, but you might have noticed that I've got a significant cut on my forehead. I've got a graze. And that's because when I was recording this podcast, I noticed it was quite hot in here in this little room, my little studio. Uh, so I opened the window and it's a very old fashioned window. It's a, it's a wooden window, which is already a red flag. I think you'll agree. A timber thing, very poorly insulated. You're welcome. And it's basically, it's a big plate of glass and it's framed in wood and it's got a hinge in the middle. So what you do is when you open it, it opens out via the middle of the window. And so it kind of just tilts halfway, like tilts flat. It kind of goes from being a window to like a flat table of glass. I mean, that's how, that's how it functions as a window. And it works quite well. But the problem is that the space here is a little cramped and I've opened the window to get some air in just before we start. I've gone to the loo to clean my glasses so that they're all sparkly for you, because I don't know if you wear glasses, but is there anything worse than looking through a dirty pair of spectacles? Is there anything worse? Um, I recommend people that are just occasional glasses wearers, let's say it's sunglasses or people that need glasses from time to time. Always keep your lenses nice and clean because it's a gorgeous thing just to look through a crisp, clean lens. I'm horrified when I sometimes have conversations with people and they've got these really cloudy, smoky glasses that they're looking through. Why don't you see the world in 2020? I would highly recommend that. So I... Uh, I've gone to clean my glasses and then I have come back and I, I can't lie. NGL, which means not going to lie. It's the first letter of each of those words, one after the other. I crashed into the edge of the window because it's basically sort of sticking out horizontally and I've not really seen it. I've rushed. I'm in a hurry. I want to get cracking with this because you need this podcast. And I've got to deliver it for you. I've got a duty of care to deliver this show. So I come rushing in. And it just scissors my forehead open, a real whack. So first of all, it felt like a, a bang. And I'm thinking that really hurts. And we've got swelling, we've got a bruise and we've got an ache. But then I felt this liquid dripping down my forehead onto my eyebrow and it was blood. You're welcome. So I had to run to the loo and I've got some tissues and it's bleeding a lot. 
it's very open and it's quite profuse, which is a real concern. Because then I'm thinking, oh, I've got a podcast to do and I do not want to go to the hospital. But this is where I will give you another of my absolutely key life hacks. Whatever it is that happens to you, if you have an accident, let's say you fall and you hit your head or you hurt your shoulder or you bash your elbow. Can I recommend that you take it very seriously and if in doubt, go to the hospital or at least call your doctor? Because it's a terrible thing when people have a little accident at home or at work and they brush it off. It's like, get it checked out. Um, and I thought, therefore, because I'd cut my forehead, I'm, like, I'm probably, based upon that advice, I'm probably best off going to hospital because it just kept bleeding. It was gushing. Uh, but then I noticed that um, I just held a tissue on it for maybe a couple of minutes, kind of the hard compress, and then it stopped bleeding. And and now it's a cut, but it's just there. It hurts a little bit, but it's it's gone. So I don't think I'm going to go to the hospital and bother anyone about it. Um, but generally, if something happens to you and you're not sure, especially with a child, but really with anyone, call the doctor or go to so the uh, the Americans would call it the emergency room. We would call it A and E, and and just get someone to look at it because um, the lovely actress Natasha Richardson, who was married to the equally lovely actor Liam Neeson. She was skiing. She was on her skis and she wasn't actually skiing at all. I think she was like stood there at the bottom of the mountain, but the, I think in, in a pair of skis or something. Uh, and she fell right just on the snow. She just bashed her head on the snow. She wasn't skiing. She just slipped or whatever, fell, bashed her head. Anyway, she was a little bit dizzy and then she got up. She's like, I'm absolutely fine. No problem. Well, I'm tragically sorry to say that I think within 24 hours she had passed away. And she had obviously had an impact on the back of her head and it was it was a, a hemorrhage. It was a bleed. And that's just the most awful story, isn't it? But it's and, and of course, you know, isn't hindsight a wonderful thing? But if something happens to you, be pessimistic about the medical implications. OK, Kind of, I, I, you know, some people will disagree with this because they'll say, well, all you're going to do with this advice is you're going to make hospitals be filled up the whole time. You know, use your brain, use common sense. But if you think it's a possible head injury or some other injury, um, I would highly recommend that you take it seriously and you get it looked at. Um, very good example, by the way, the Internet. A lot of people criticize checking symptoms online. But I mean, if you're not sure you can go online as long as you have a trusted source of information, like in this country, the National Health Service. I mean, I think you're allowed to do Dr. Google with the NHS and the NHS is on the Internet. You know, I quite like WebMD. Pretty good, too. Um, I'm a big fan of the dietdoctor.com for um, advice on the low carb thing, um, weight loss and, and all of that. But um just just a while ago, it was maybe three years ago, I was at home and I was doing some chores. I was doing a little bit of housekeeping. Is that what you call it? I was I was just tidying up and no, I don't, that's not housekeeping, is it? What do you call that? But it's amazing that I don't have a name for it. It would suggest that I don't do it often enough. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm tidying the house and I have done a job which I absolutely hate to do, which is to wash the duvet cover because I'm not that keen on washing duvet covers because then you've got to like get the duvet back into this massive cover and it's a bit of a nightmare, isn't it? Anyway, so that's fine. So uh, I've washed the duvet cover. I put the duvet in 
and I'm just tucking it into the bed. And I just, I just push my fingers onto the duvet, right, to sort of shove it in to the bed. And I felt this click. And one of my fingers, if you're watching on YouTube, it's this finger. It's the first finger along from the little finger on my left hand. And um, it basically, it flopped. I won't do it with that finger. I'll do it with my good finger, which basically it was just flopped down like that. It just stayed flopped down. Basically, it was a bent finger. But what was weird is I felt no pain. Now, I was at home on my own with the kids, so there wasn't really time to worry about myself because I've got to look after the kids and stuff. And I can't suddenly run off to the hospital. Plus, it doesn't hurt. And all it is is bent. So I don't know. I'll just I'll, I'll go and see the doctor tomorrow and I'll get it straightened out. So I've got this bent finger, uh, worried that my piano playing days are behind me. And um, I'm getting on with my evening with a bent finger and getting dinner ready and all the usual stuff. But then I just thought, it's a bit weird, isn't it? So I'll, I'll just, maybe I shouldn't wait till tomorrow. So I went online and I did Dr. Google. And it turns out that it looks like what I had was something called, I think it's called baseball finger. And I think it happens to cricketers as well. And it's if the ball hits the finger really hard, it does something like tears or breaks a tendon. And the tendon is the thing. It's a little string that holds the finger straight. And... It's like a puppet puppet with a string that holds the puppet's hand up, you know, and that 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 string is sort of torn or or snapped. And that's why you got a floppy finger. Anyway, I, I Googled this this um, baseball finger thing. It might have another name. I'm sure you're, you're probably quite curious to know what it what it's actually called. I remember looking it up at the time. Baseball finger. <laughs> it's a great name, isn't it? Let's have a look. Mallet finger. There you go. Why am I shouting? There's no need to shout. <laughs> uh, mallet finger, also known as baseball finger, is an injury to the thin tendon that straightens the end joint of a finger or thumb. Oh, isn't that well explained? Bravo to um, whoever wrote that one up. This joint is called the distal interphalangeal joint, the DIP, in the fingers. Oh, there's a lot of complicated words. The injury can happen when an unyielding, rigid or solid object like a baseball strikes the tip of a finger or thumb and forces it to bend further than it's intended to go. As a result of the injury, you're not able to straighten the tip of your finger or thumb on your own, resulting in a bent posture of the tip of the digit. I don't know who wrote that, but I love that. I don't know. It's just kind of poetry for me, the way that that person has written that description. That's on the uh, ortho info website if you're interested but mallet finger or baseball finger so anyway i jumped online i found a website like that and it said you should get this seen straight away because if you ignore it for a day or two the finger will stay bent forever i beg your pardon i beg your pardon so what looked like a very trivial injury which by the way did not hurt at the time it didn't hurt i just felt i could hear i heard a little click and I think maybe it felt like a little pop in my finger, but it was completely painless, really. And I felt no pain afterwards. But yet I've got a bent finger. So I read this advice and I think that I was able to be relieved of my parental duties. And what I did is I went straight to A&E, the emergency room. And uh, they took care of it. And what they did is they put it in a splint. So they gave me a little device, a plastic device that wrapped some dressing around it and it kept my finger straight and you basically had to have that you wouldn't believe this 
You have to have this device for, I think, about six weeks. You've got to keep your finger straight for six weeks. And I was very disciplined about it. And now I've got, if you're watching, by the way, this is a reward for watching it on YouTube because, of course, it's lovely. It's so nice to have audio listeners. But this show is on YouTube as a quite literally a video product. I'd call it television. I'm not going to lie. I think this is TV, isn't it? Of course it is. Production value, craft. You're welcome. Anyway, so uh, if you're watching on the YouTube, look at that beautiful, perfect finger now. So many thanks to the National Health Service for straightening my finger. But um, it was good because what I did not do is I, I did not take a chance. I was not optimistic about the injury. I didn't laugh it off. I took it seriously. If anything, I was a little bit paranoid about it. And, and, and rightly so, because if I hadn't done that, I would still have a bent finger. Anyway, so I got my, my uh, poor old cut on my head now just a few minutes ago before coming to talk to you. Um, and then I stopped the bleeding and I've used an antiseptic wipe and everything and I'll clean it again later. But it's it's fine. I mean, it's it's a cut. And this has inspired me to give you another piece of advice that I do try to give myself. There's nothing on this show that I tell you that I don't try myself. And by the way, are you ready? There's nothing on this show that I tell you that I don't struggle to do as well. You know, so I give you advice and I sometimes find it hard to act on it. Right. So it's difficult for me and it's difficult for you, but it's my goal to follow the advice I give you. And I'm sharing, you know, what works for me, what helps me, but I sometimes fail anyway, but I'm always trying. Try, try, try. So more than that nice line from Star Wars and it's, is it? <laughs> it's a little tiny old man alien character who is that little guy with has he got big ears is he an ewok with a big nose and massive eyes and wrinkles he's not jabba the hut is he i think jabba the hut is bad there's the other guy and he's wise and he speaks in an unusual word order like a german person and what's he called but anyway he 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 used to say there is there is no try, only do, which I quite like, by the way. So I, I'm going to take back the idea that I try. I tried to just, no, no, I've done it again. Just do stuff. Um, what was he called? Should, should I look that up as well? A lot of looking up today, but I think it's going to be worth it. I think we need that for closure. It may be that you're yelling the name of the character at me as we speak. Um, there is no try, only do. There you go. The internet knows this. And it comes from Yoda. There you go. Isn't he clever? I think Yoda's is wise. He's got very big wide ears. He's green. Is he single? Is he seeing anyone at the moment? And that would be a hot date, wouldn't it? Old Yoda. You're thinking outside the box there, aren't you? By going home with Yoda. But, um, you know, he's not conventionally attractive. But can I tell you, uh, this show is all about oversharing. Can I? Can I overshare? I'm just going to overshare with you, right? I really shouldn't, but I'm going to. There was a girl at school. Well, I went to a boys' school. But then we had this thing called the Choral Society. And at the Choral Society, you, you if you're going to do Handel's Messiah or Belshazzar's Feast or some other classic choral work, you need men and women. And you need all these different voices. You need the soprano and then you need the tenor and you need the baritone and the bass, I think. God, it's all a distant memory now. Alto, maybe? 
I could be making this up. Anyway, all these different ranges of voices. And uh, and therefore it was um, hilariously, I think I was probably, I, I reckon I was a soprano until about 16, which I think would be very revealing. That's very, that's very revealing medical information about me, isn't it? That I was a soprano until college. <laughs> You're welcome. It's a good look. A high voice is, a baby face and a high voice is exactly what the chicks are looking for, let me tell you. Um, so I was, uh, I was in this thing and let me tell you that there was, there were all, all girls there and I was a teenage boy. What are you going to do? It was one of the main reasons to do choral society is all I will say. And there was one girl there and she shall remain nameless, but shall I come up with, I'll come up with a fake name. Let's call her Eleanor, but that was not her name. And I was in love with Eleanor probably dreamt about her, thought about her permanently. <laughs> and uh, I was so shy and I used to try to pluck up the courage to go and speak to her. I mean, making eye contact was already difficult. But um, I, I suppose I once stole the odd glance. She had Irish, a bit of Irish lineage, mother or father or both, which I thought gave me an in because I, my parents are Irish. I'm just dabbing the, the <laughs> dabbing the blood off my forehead. You're welcome. Uh, but she was um, she was quite something, and uh, I remember being very uh, always shy in her presence. And then I was amazing, really, that one day I just I just went up to her. Right, it was after the holidays, and I think I'd been on a school skiing trip or something. Anyway, I don't know what happened, but oh no, that was it. You won't believe this. It's a shocking story. But I went up to her and I said, "Hi, did you have a good holiday?" And she said, "Yep." Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I said, what did you do? And she said, I went skiing. And then she said to me, have you been skiing? And I panicked and said, yeah, I broke my leg. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? And she said, oh, and that was the end of the conversation. I didn't see her again for years. Anyway, this person was, so it was, I'm afraid to say an unfulfilled love. But <laughs> she still thinks I broke my leg skiing my f well my friends said she was ugly and they said that she looked like a horse can you believe that that she and they, honestly they couldn't believe that i thought she was incredible she was this goddess to me and i would maintain that but my friends and a few others said that she had an odd face and that she was horse-like or equine truly horrific but there you go but that's my way, thinking outside the box. And I had a, an, another girlfriend that, again, apparently was... Th this will sound like a really sexist conversation. It's not... To me, the, uh, the I was, you know, completely delighted with my choice. Other people were very critical of a couple of... One or two of my exes in that department. I was horrified. Anyway, in these very politically correct times, that wouldn't happen now. But back in the day, they called a spade a spade. And apparently, you know, my taste wasn't great. But I couldn't care less, which is a lesson to all of us, which is if you dig it, that's all you need to know. You know, if, if you are into someone or you're into a thing, you've got a hobby or a job that you're doing or some kind of activity, a sport, or there's a person that no one else likes or, or a guy, let's say I've got, you know, maybe maybe you, you are one of my gay listeners or a female and you're attracted to a guy who's not very handsome, right? But it was works for you. Well, then just go for it. Don't be dictated to by other people. Go your own way. 
with your clothes, with your choice of career, with how you spend every minute of your day, with what you do with your hair. Go your own way. Boldly go your own way and just be you to 150%. Uh, a quick note on on the forehead and apologies if the podcast is slightly delirious because I do feel a touch lightheaded, I've got to admit. Um, it stopped bleeding and I'm thinking, well, shall I do the podcast? I'm like, yeah, get on with it. And I've got to say, I think this is good advice to all of us. It's advice I give myself. It's advice I would give to you, which is get on with it. I think society these days is very empathetic, which is good, but there's a slight victim culture now where you're almost encouraged, especially through social media, to feel sorry for yourself. And you've got to blame this and you've got to blame that. It's like, you know what, don't play the game, the, 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 the blame blame game. Just uh, just get on with it. You know, um, try to fix the things. We talked about stoicism last week. Have the wisdom to know the difference between the things you can fix and the things you can't. The things you can't change, you accept those. The things you can change, make a decision, get them changed. But... Um, there is a big, big element of just get on with it. Do you know what I mean? So I cut my head and I've, I'm actually a little jaded today. It's one of those days. Just get on with it. So this is, I'm afraid this podcast is the product of me getting on with it. So tell that to yourself as well. Um, I've got a slight inner Sir Alex Ferguson, the greatest club manager in the history of English football. And he was not cuddly and he was not wildly understanding or caring I mean look of course he had a big heart and everything and what a character what a personality what a mentality but you know he it was tough love with Sir Alex you had to crack on with it you had to get on with it Uh, there's that great image of a footballer called Terry Butcher who played for England and he got the most awful head injury whilst he was playing a match and rather than come off and stay off get an early bath he just got bandaged up and then went back on the pitch and played the rest of the game. And he looked like Frankenstein's monster. Um, there's a story of a footballer who I think had a broken foot, didn't realise it and carried on playing for the rest of the game. Uh, now, that's a little unwise. I don't want you to go mad with the kind of get on, we get on with it philosophy. But I think a certain extent, if you don't fancy something or if you're struggling with something or there's a reason why you can't really do it that easily, who cares? Just get on with it. Just do it anyway. Get on with it. It, it is, honestly, that's a superpower. Just, that's what people, uh, for me, that's what a good leader would sometimes say. It's just get on with it. Get on with it, which I'm now going to do. I'm going to get on with it because we've got a lot of other things to talk about. Um, it's extremely valuable to do things well. Stephen King, stalk, Stephen King talked about writing, of course, best-selling author of Carrie and The Shining and many other literature hits. Stephen King wrote an excellent book about writing called On Writing, which I would recommend even if you're not interested in writing. It's just a great autobiography and it's a great book about art and about creativity and also about prevailing. And this is a guy that had an accident. He was walking down the street, taking his usual afternoon walk, having written a few more pages of another bestseller in Maine, which is kind of rural America. And he's walking down this road. Anyway, some idiot in a truck hits him. And pretty much breaks every bone in his body. And it takes him probably a couple of years just to get put back together again. It was a dreadful accident. But in the book, he talks about the creative process and writing. And he says that you must take it seriously. That you decide, right, from, let's say, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., I'll be writing. And that's what I'm going to do. 
So that means that you're going to switch off the email on your computer. If you're working on your computer, you switch off the notifications. You're going to silence your phone. You're going to make sure that you've got the room to yourself. And if you're in an office, then you're just going to put the headphones on so that you're in a bubble. But you isolate yourself, you avoid distractions, and you focus, you zero in on that task. And he says, therefore, that writing is not washing the car. That's what he says. Writing is not washing the car. Now, I thought kind of, what does he mean by that? But I kind of thought about it. And, and what he's saying is that washing the car is something that you can kind of like, you can do it casually, can't you? You sort of wash the car and then you're halfway through, you go and get a coffee and you call your friend, you watch an episode of a sitcom and you come back and you finish washing the car. You, you can, how you wash the car is casual. Yeah, it's not, it's not your job. It's not pushing you forward as a human being. It's not a creative act. You're washing the car. Um, you can wash the car well. You don't have to wash the car well. It's, it's not going to be decisive in your life, is it? But writing for Stephen King is. And so he says writing is not washing the car. And what he means is that you take it seriously. You lock in on the project and on, on the task and you just go for it. And that you take it terribly seriously. Now, this for you is not necessarily about writing. OK, it could be anything. It could be a work thing. Anything that matters to you that's important. Let's say it's a company report. Let's say it's some new sales strategy, an advertising campaign, whatever it is that you've got to do. Maybe you're a furniture maker and you've got to build a cupboard or a wardrobe. It's not washing the car. Give it your total attention. Do it properly. Do it well. Um, my favourite anecdote which reflects this approach is a friend of mine is an architect and he he was working on this development which is basically kind of a housing development maybe sort of a high rise perhaps i don't know 20 apartments i think it was a new build so that they're just trying to do these apartments. They want to do it cheaply. The developer wants to do it cheaply, erects the apartments and uh, the, the block and just bare minimum, bare minimum. Uh, this architect insisted that it was the living room, not the bedroom, which was south facing, which the developer didn't care about. But the architect had a bit of a conscience and thought, look, you need sunshine in, in the area where you're up during the day with your family doing stuff. You don't need sunshine blazing into the bedroom and then having a dark living room where the light never comes in. That was great architecture. That was very ethical. It was the right thing to do and well done them. But you can tell that this was a developer that was cutting corners, only cared about the bottom line, about the profit margin and was not mindful of the quality of life of the people that will eventually live in this apartment block. So that's very sad, isn't it? I think we can all agree there should be, and there probably are a few rules about the construction of these buildings to make sure that they are good places to live. But that's another conversation. The architect, uh, the developer commissioned a plumber to do the plumbing, and it was a German plumber. And the plumber was given the brief by the developer and the architect and the plumber said, this is, uh, 
this cheap way is not so good. It needs to be, you need to put a little bit more money into this plumbing and then it will be correct. Otherwise it will be bad plumbing. And the developer said to the architect, the developer said to the German plumber, look, here's what I've got. I want you to do it badly. Okay. Just do it the cheap, bad way. I will, I will pay you good money to do it badly. And this German plumber said, I can't do it badly. That's not possible. So I'm, I'm not able to take the job. And that's because this plumber had a set of values, had it in their makeup that they'll either do it well or not at all. He couldn't, this guy couldn't bring himself, even for money and to pay the bills, he couldn't bring himself to do something that he knew was bad work. And by the way, I don't think it, it would involve burst pipes and the place flooded, but it was just going to be cutting corners and a little bit crappy. And he's like, I can't do it. I can't do it badly. And that's, we all should be that German plumber, whatever task we're doing, especially if it's an important consequential task, something related to our career or, or some other pastime which enhances our quality of life. Do it properly. There's great satisfaction in doing it well. You're going to be so proud of yourself. You know, I sanded down the floorboards when we moved in here. Um, I had a simple rule when we moved in with, with we, we, we had no what you would call money. So therefore, I would do anything that I could actually do. So I would paint the walls because anyone can paint the walls. Anyone can sand the floorboard. So I did the things. I, I can't do the electrics. I can't do the plumbing. I'll kill all of us if I did that. So that's why you've got to pay someone. But anything that I could do, I did. And I sanded the floorboards. And I've got to be honest with you. I was like the German plumber. I was like Stephen King. I gave it my full attention. It was not washing the car. I smashed it. I attacked it. And every time I look down at those floorboards, I'm still consumed with pride at the good job I did. It's the gift that keeps on giving, doing something well. Uh, lovely story about Steve Jobs, one of the reasons why he was such a perfectionist and why his Apple products were so well constructed inside and out is that his father had a hobby. His father made furniture and his father taught him if you're building furniture, it's got to be strong. It's got to be well constructed. It's got to look beautiful. But Steve Jobs' dad, his stepfather, was just as interested in the back of the cupboard looking good too. So the structure at the back, which you never see because it's the back of the cupboard, it's against the wall. That was beautiful too. Now, if you think about it, who cares? You're never going to see it. But Steve Jobs' father's argument was, yeah, but you know it's bad. Every time I use that cupboard, every time I look at it, I know it's bad. Whereas if I do it well, I know it's I know it's good throughout that's a beautiful thing. I would highly recommend it. Um, now, I'd like to give you a book that I've been reading lately, and it's called The Art of War. It was written 2,500 years ago by a Chinese military strategist, almost like a general. And forgive the poor pronunciation, but Sun Tzu, S-U-N-T-Z-U, two and a half thousand years ago, Art of War. And it was about essentially how to win battles. But of course, it has great metaphorical value to us in the modern world, because in many ways, everything is a battle. Everything is a challenge. So it doesn't have to be a war. It can be a relationship situation or indeed a professional scenario. So in the Art of War, a big theme is to pick your battles. OK. And what that means is that you shouldn't start a battle that you know you're going to lose. Okay. And I've certainly had that professionally where 
I don't know, for example, let's say I, I want to apply to a broadcaster or, or pitch an idea to a broadcaster. If I know for a fact that it's a rejection, if I know for a fact it's a rejection, for some reason I've got the intel and it's it's clear to me that, I don't know, that's not what they're looking for or the person is not, you know, the company's not a fan or whatever. If I can be pretty sure that it's a non-starter, I won't do it because what you've done is you've you've exposed yourself there. You've you've launched in with a bid for something, with a request for something. You've been rejected and then you've suffered collateral damage. They've drawn blood. So you only put that bid in. Let's say you want a contract. You're looking for new business. You only do that if there's a, a small chance that it will actually happen. Otherwise, otherwise you are um, exposed. Probably a better example would be a pay rise, something like that, or, or an issue at work that you need resolved, okay? If you know that that pay rise is not going to happen because Stephanie went and asked about the pay rise yesterday and was told, no, there's no pay rises, and da da da, da. Um, you're better off not asking for the pay rise if you know it's a no, and wait until your work has, I don't know, let's say you've had an amazing month and you've you've hit sort of record figures in your performance, and for some reason, it's very noticeable that you in particular are delivering for the companies, right? So you're on a, you're on a winning streak and the company is also seems to be in good health. You know, profits are up. You're like, OK, well, there you go. Profits are up. And then I'm also over delivering. That's a good time because then there's a chance you'll get that pay rise. But asking for a pay rise and them saying no is a disaster. Because you're just weak then. And they've set the precedent. They said, no, you reacted by going, OK, and off you go with your tail between your legs. That's an epic fail. So I wouldn't do it. You, you wait until you're in a strong position and then you go in. I mean, look, the ultimate negotiating position for a pay rise is let's imagine a rival company wants you to work for them. OK, so you work for company A and company B says, well, we'd love to have you and we'll pay you double what you're on now. Well, that when you go to your existing employees, right, that, that employers, that becomes a battle that you're highly likely to win. Because what you do is you go to them, you go, hi, uh, listen, I'm very happy here, but I've been approached by this other company. They will double my money. Um, do you think you would find it within yourselves to give me a pay rise so I can stay? You're laughing because do they want to lose you? Well, if you're delivering record figures for the company, you're part of the growth, you're an important figure, then they'll probably double your money or maybe they'll compromise and go, look, we can't quite double your wages, but we'll give you this and we'll give you a promotion. Are you happy with that? And at that point, that's a win, isn't it? You've enhanced yourself. So you just identify when your likelihood of success is at its greatest. I always used to ask my dad for money when he was in a good mood, right? That is a good strategy. Ask him when he's angry and busy and he says no and he's even angrier now because you've asked him for money and he's said no. And you are wounded. He's drawn blood. Your reputation has been damaged. So that's a very good one, isn't it? Pick your battles. Also, Sun Tzu, author of The Art of War, was a master of soft power. So win wars without fighting. And that's how... Rather than go into battle with people, you negotiate, you communicate, you compromise, you get what you want without actually having conflict. If you can avoid it, that is very, very good. Let's imagine that you're expecting to have an incredible fight with a colleague or a partner. Why don't you just calmly write them an email or a letter? And that way it's indirect. It's not so in your face and you lay out your arguments because you know that if you talk to them, it's going to explode. 
right? You've avoided conflict. That's soft power. Through a well-thought-out, dispassionate, unemotional email. Um, also, it talks about in the book, if you've got a fight, win the easy battles. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Now, he was a big fan of spying. I, of course, would never condone spying, corporate espionage, that kind of thing. But he meant it in a war sense that you kind of like get your get your army, get your soldiers to check out the enemy, get some information on them. When, when are they launching the attack? How many tanks have they got? How much weaponry are they in possession of? Who's funding them, right? Spying, get information on your competitors. Now you're not at war. This is not a war podcast, but it relates to all of our lives because if it's a professional thing, then think about your competitors, what their strengths and weaknesses are. This is what a football club will do. So my team, Tottenham, who are, I mean, I've got to say they have a long history of glory. You're welcome. I say long ago, but it, it was long and it is glory. And they, like all football teams, let's imagine they're playing Manchester City tomorrow. Today, they are watching DVDs of Man City and they're watching how they play and what they do. And you can see that Man City beat Arsenal last week. How did they beat Arsenal? Well, look what their striker did to the defender. He did this trick. And then look at their goalkeeper. But wait a minute. They've got a striker that's rubbish at this. Why don't we exploit that? So in your life, if you've got, let's say you've got a rival at work who you want to, to go past in the pecking order, or let's say you've got a, you know, a company that's a rival to yours, understand the enemy and learn what they're good at and do those things and also learn what they're bad at and exploit those things. So study your competitors' strengths and weaknesses. Also, study and analyse your own strengths and weaknesses. So football, Tottenham are watching how Man City play, but then also they're going to watch DVDs of the game that they've played last week and what was good and bad. Well, they scored. So how do we get that goal? Why were we successful in getting that goal? Well, that was a great movement from the midfielder to the winger. So let's always do that. Um, and then, of course, we we conceded a goal towards the end. How did that happen? Well, the goalkeeper spilt it. So you have a good look at that. And the goalkeeper understands and analyzes how and why they let the goal in. So you've got to know your enemy and know yourself. It also says travel unexpected routes. Again, that's in a military sense, you know, so they're expecting you to come from the south. Why don't you come from the west? Right. Maybe it's a pain in the ass to come from the west. But that's what you should do. It's the element of surprise. The enemy's thinking, well, they'll come from the south because the south is easier. We're like, well, we know it's easier, but we're going to go through the swamp because you won't expect us to come that way. You can do that again professionally. Um, play a bit of a poker face. Do you know what I mean? If you've got a rival at work, pretend that you're not a rival. You know, you can just give them the impression that you're really unambitious. You're really happy in your current post, even though it's that promotion you're after, which they're after too. Just pretend you're not interested. And another good thing about the, the book is it talks about how you should actually disguise your strength. So the enemy will underestimate you. That ties in with the poker face. So if you are at work and you've got plans afoot, keep it to yourself and be humble and, and maybe look at, like a little bit of a loser before you then go in for the kill. 
let me tell you a couple of other things. Uh, it recommends fast. It brings speed of action. Seize your moment. So if you decide this is the moment when I'm going to go in for the kill, whatever it is, maybe you're at a party and you want to um, ask someone on a date. Well, then you just notice that they're on their own for a second. Bang, that's it. That's your opportunity. You just got to you wait four seconds and then suddenly someone's gone up and talking to them and that's it. You've missed the moment. But that person that you'd love to date is over there. They just, someone's just said goodbye to them. They're on their own for a nanosecond. Bang, over you go going, hi, how are you? Ask them about their holiday. Tell them you broke your leg or something skiing and, and that'll be it. The rest will be history. But speed, initiative, seize your moment. Don't miss that gap. The opportunity, seize it. Also, the leader leads by example, not force. So what you've got to do if you're, let's say you are in a leadership position at work, you've got to get there on time. You work hard, you're productive, and then they will follow because that's what a leader does. You know, the leader must be, I'm afraid, the best employee. The boss must be the best employee. It just lifts everyone. Elton John, famous for assembling a band in the mid-70s, and he said, he said, um, I love this band because I'm the least good musician in this band. Right? Talk about self-discipline, right? Talk about ambition, that you're willing to expose yourself to people around you who are better because you want to make yourself good. You want to force yourself into being better. And the way you do that is by having great people around you. And it makes you raise your game. But what does Elton do in his band for however many decades? He leads by example, right? He plays hard and he writes that material and he's the king of the keyboard. Naturally, the band are just going to be always giving more because he gives so much. Same in football. Sorry to go on about football, but the captain of the team, you know, shows leadership, does the most practice during training. David Beckham, famous for his free kicks and what they would do. Footballers generally train in the morning and then they have lunch and they go home. What David Beckham used to do is he'd train in the morning, have lunch, and then he'd get a ball and he'd go back to the training ground. He'd spend all afternoon kicking that ball into the net for hours on end because he wanted it more. Well, he was a natural captain. That is leadership. I don't think he was the United captain. No, he wasn't, but he was the England captain. I'm sure he was. Apologies if I'm wrong about that, but he certainly behaved like a captain. He showed great leadership, as did Terry Butcher with his bleeding head when he went, went and played a game. So much football today. That'll be it, I think. Um, also, a leader needs to have experience. Um, that allows you to anticipate and be strategic. The leader must have soft skills, which would include integrity, kindness, looking after the team and winning their hearts. It's very important that the team love their leader and that they will go to war for their leader. The way you do that is to care for them and make sure they're all right and their well-being and also that you set high standards, you challenge them. I've got a team around me and I push myself and I push them. And I say to them, I want, you know, if I'm working on a show, I want this to be the best possible show that we can make. And I want each of you to give of your best today because it's so much more satisfying to really throw yourself into it and give everything. It just it's very good for your mental and I would argue physical health to work hard and give it your all. It's just satisfying. You must have had those days at work where you're really lazy and unproductive and you just you're on a you're on some silly website watching cat videos and then suddenly at six o'clock it's time to go home. You don't feel good, do you? I mean, yes, you 
stole money from the boss. You basically, you got paid to do nothing today, which in a trivial way may feel like a, a bit of a success story. But no, you've not, you've not had that satisfaction of putting in a good shift and like, mm, you know, earning it, earning, earning um, that feeling that coming, coming off, you know, coming off duty. So that's what you got to do. You got to win their hearts. They've got to really look up to you and they've got to walk through brick walls for you. And the way you do that, yeah, you you um you lead by example. Strictness as well is a big one. Strictness and discipline is a big aspect from the boss downwards. And it says here, oh yeah, we've done that. Don't start a war you can't win. Absolutely. So there you go. That is the art of war. Um, how are we doing? Listen, a couple of other bits and pieces before we go. Um, a great money saving tip. In the UK, we have supermarkets that will sell food cheaply and it will have a sticker towards the end of the day there's a yellow sticker i'm sure you wherever you are it's normally a yellow sticker isn't it uh, on the continent it's sometimes when i go to austria it says action on it Act, not actung but action and it is let's imagine it's a steak which was five pounds and then it's got the yellow sticker now it's three pounds and the reason why it's three pounds is because it goes bad today right so let's imagine that the use by date is the 1st of june and it is currently the 1st of june i think legally they're not allowed to sell you something which has passed its date so i think it, it's not possible for it to be the 31st of may but anyway the 1st of june it is let's imagine hypothetically today's the 1st of june they're selling the steak now it might even the steak might be a little bit discolored around the edges. Okay, so you can actually see that, that steak is on the turn. Okay, it's on the turn. Now, two options. You buy it or you don't buy it. Well, you, maybe you don't buy it because you don't want to buy old food. Especially if it's going off today. Let's say it's half price is going off today. If you then put that in the fridge and you wait a few more days, you can't eat it, right? It's rotten. So what you do is you buy the half price slightly going off food. And when you get home, you cook it straight away, even if you're not going to eat it. So if you've got a steak, which is on the turn, fry it in the pan, cook it thoroughly, let it cool, put it in a fridge, and then that steak is good for days and days and days and days and days. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, but I would suggest a cooked steak is good for a week in the fridge. Easy. I would, in my humble opinion, I'm not an expert. Don't try this at home. I reckon a cooked steak is good for a week. I think it's probably good for even longer, but that's just my weird opinion because and what I like about beef, beef is a very clean meat. Pork and stuff like that, not so much. Yuck. There's a lot of bacteria in pork. And I remember having some pork once and we didn't eat all of it. And then it kind of went off and we th we've put it in the food recycling. And then for some reason, they didn't come to collect the food recycling for a couple of weeks. And it was the summer and I opened the food recycling and there were a ton of worms coming out of the pork. It was disgusting. I don't think that happens with beef. I think beef is a very clean meat. Proof of that is that you can flash fry beef, can't you? You can you can cook beef for 10 seconds each side and, and then it's healthy. Steak tartare, it's basically raw, raw beef, isn't it? But I... I mean, I know the French do, but the French, are, you know, the French are the French. The French do that with pork. Ugh, no, I don't want medium rare pork. 
but the French do it. But yeah, so if you're buying cheap food, which is on the turn, just cook it straight away. That's what a lot of Italians do. You know, when they go to the market, um, they cook a lot of stuff the minute they get home, including vegetables, because they believe that if you've got like these greens and stuff, the vitamins just sort of slowly go away. And therefore, if you cook the food, it preserves the vitamins. That is now again, I don't have the science on that, but that's what a lot of a lot of Italian grandmas do. They cook the food when they get it home. Why not? Well, it's been a bit, been a bit of a nice, chunky podcast today, hasn't it? Given the fact that I'm bleeding to death, um, that's not a bad innings, is it really? I've got to say, I'm loving your company. People come up to me and they say that they listen to the podcast and that they like it. So thank you so much. This podcast is nothing without you. It is for you. You are the podcast. And you can obviously watch it on YouTube and the brand new delivery day, the day that the podcast drops is now always a Sunday. So Sunday is podcast day. I hope that works for you. Um, And yeah, I've got some great, great advice for you in the next show. I can't wait to do that already, at which point I'll be physically mended. Have a great week. Look after yourself and remember my earlier advice. Whatever it is you want in your life, lose weight, start a new relationship, new job, new chapter, take up a sport, whatever it is, make a decision and go for it. Have a great week. Big love. And I'll see you soon.